Hello, friends. Welcome back to our tale. The year is 1890. The place, Boston. An evil force continues to seep into our world, corrupting and conquering all who touch it. Our four brave adventurers foiled its mysterious plans and brought Jack the Ripper to justice. But can they succeed again? Can they keep this force from holding illimitable dominion over all? Find out as they face the Red Death. Alrighty. Uh, so are we good to hop back in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So over the next week or so, Ignacia, Charlotte broaches the subject with you a few times as she's talking to you about some things a little bit more directly about the circle. Um, but she pretty quickly gets the sense that you're reluctant to talk about all of it and you're unlikely to be swayed. Um, and so she drops it. And instead she focuses on teaching you how to use the amulet around your neck, the blue topaz stone that you got from your grandmother. Mm -hmm. And eventually she teaches you that you're able to cast a spell into the stone to be used later. Um, And that it can last for weeks at a time in there. Um, And so it functions, you know, as an amulet of spell storage. Uh, It can hold any spell that you want it to and it can hold it for up to a week, or up to two weeks, sorry. So you have that on deck, and so whatever you want to store in there, uh, you definitely can. Uh, Yep, I know I'm storing, so. Okay, cool. Uh, And Finn, uh, Li Jing talks to you a little bit and says that she thinks at some point soon it may be wise to talk to Ignacia a bit more about where you were before Yan Wo found you so that she fully understands that you get your role in all of this and that you get that your body is not your own and that you're willing to sacrifice for the greater good and for this cause should the need arise. Yeah. Finn definitely agrees to do that. He said that in, in a situation where she's less defensive uh, that it, it might it might settle in the information might settle in better. Yeah. Or I think in that meeting, she was on the defense against everybody else who was she had perceived to be against him when everyone was really just saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. So he he gets it. He he agrees. She nods, uh, and then she points to the the pocket where you've tucked the ring during your conversation with her, as she insisted. And she says, it's been the topic of much debate among the four of us about what should be done with it. No one should possess it, but it's also too dangerous to be left alone. For whatever reason, you seem to be able to handle it without it immediately destroying you. He, uh, uh pours a little bit more of uh, the bourbon into the glass in front of him. He takes a sip and uh, and he says, 
If this thing starts to change me, I'm going to get rid of it. But I'll give it to you. I don't want that group having it. I don't know them. She says, I'm not sure I would want it, but I suppose. I can see why that evil doctor wanted it. She says it must have been how he got away with all of those murders. As long as no one living saw him do it, people would believe him. Absolutely. But strange. Well, I don't plan to do any killing, or at least any killing of people that don't deserve it. She cracks a smile at the the line about killing, and so the tension's a little bit easier now. And she says, but I mean this, if you hear any words, take it off immediately, Mr. Finn. Can you promise me that? He uh, takes a sip and then like kind of lifts up two fingers off of the glass that he's holding uh, with the hand he's holding the glass with. And he, and he says, on my honor. Then he smiles and takes another sip. She smiles and uh, takes a sip of tea. Very well then. Thank you, Mr. Finn. He nods. All right, so also during this week, the absolute talk of the town has become uh, a new exhibit that's coming to the museum uh, to grindingly shift narrative gears here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it is being touted as the most remarkable archeological find ever in history. Now, uh, part of that is it is at the the Boston Museum, um, which is run by, uh, was founded by Moses Kimball, who is a a follower of P.T. Barnum. Uh, And so it has something of a flair for showmanship. They've had mermaids there before. Uh, There was a, a particularly impressive mermaid, things like that. Stuff that all of you Agnes, especially you, uh, know to be just absolute bullshit. But uh, people seem to like it. And this one is being touted as an absolutely genuine exhibit of Egyptology. Agnes, you especially have your doubts about how authentic this will be, um, but are interested in going to to see it, either to debunk it or, I mean, you know that a lot of the Egyptology stuff is real. There, There are mummies, there are sarcophagi, if that's the plural of it. There are all sorts of really cool things that sort of blend myth and reality uh, in ways that really just are your wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. I think Agnes is probably also going to be particularly interested in uh, how these things were acquired, because chances are uh, a lot of it will be kind of sketchy. Uh, Oh, yeah. uh, Most of it, if not all of it, will be completely sketchy. Yeah, there's <laughs> there's no question about that. Um, yeah, this is not going to be a uh, rah-rah imperialism show. <laughs> uh, so you, you do some digging into that, and you find that it was acquired by a notable archaeologist named Flinders Peters, uh, who's a British archaeologist who's done a lot of work with Egyptology. Um, and in the sort of paper ramp-up to this, He's been interviewed a few times and has talked about 
what a great honor it was to be able to unearth these unknown wonders um, so they can finally be studied and appreciated by scientific eyes. It was funded by a notable philanthropist in town named Harry Trislow, who's a Brit who moved over here some years ago. Um, in social circles, Agnes, you've encountered him once or twice. Uh, James, you've certainly heard about him. Uh, you know, he's one of the one of the muckety mucks the regular guys complain about sometimes. And uh, he has a pretty keen interest in Egyptology and has agreed to fund this expedition, which was wildly successful. They managed to get into a pyramid um, and take all manner of things out of there, including what they almost mantra-like refer to as the best preserved mummy that has ever been found. And so they're all excited about opening night and tickets are the most difficult thing to come by. Um, Joseph Sachs, the man who runs the museum, and uh, Moses Kimball, who's was semi-retired, uh, but came out of retirement a bit to help hype this up, have been really hitting the press circuit hard about this. Uh, and so the night of the exhibit, they say that there'll be some past hors d'oeuvres and a what's likely to be the social event of the summer on June 21st. So even on the first night of summer, it's likely to be the social event of the summer. And so there, Flinders Peters, the archeologist who uh, unearthed slash stole all of the stuff will be there. Um, Henry Trislow who financed it will be there. And a woman who helped translate some of the glyphs uh, that Peters wasn't able to read, uh, a woman named Sadette Kepri will be there as well. So is there anything in particular that you all want to look into about this or pursue about this before we forge ahead? I want to do some digging around on the translator. So there isn't much in the papers about the translator. She is, um, Peters talks about her a little bit in one interview. Um, she's a woman who, uh, who he met while he was in Egypt looking into this um, and was in need of an expert, although he's a, a bit sketchy about that. Um, he sort of teases that he'll say more about that uh, at the event um, and that there's uh, really quite a story there. And that sort of is another way that they're whipping up interest in, in that event. Are, are we all sort of... Um together like talk do we have moments where any of all of us together are talking about this like if we were at a bar or something or at someone's house yeah i assume that the the four of you have been keeping in touch a bit um and so one thing that uh you do hear about is detective o'neill is interested in having the four of you there um and on june 20th he's asked to meet with the four of you the day before the evening when this event will be taking place. So I think, I think anytime it's brought up in a, in a group situation where we're all, where all of all four of us are at, uh, Finn goes out of his way to make it known how ridiculous he thinks museums are and how uninterested he is in, in at all going. <laughs> <laughs> 
and Finn That's decides perfect. to sit this one out. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that it would take it would be kind of a, a a not so difficult insight check to figure out that he's completely lying, but otherwise he's uh, purposefully ignoring this type of thing, like saying it's like no, not of any interest to him at all. But he's uh, he's like keeps looking over at the pictures in the paper. I think that James has has a pretty big interest in Egypt with the pyramids and such mm-hmm. just as a builder, you know, just how, how that was achieved on just the marvel of it. So I think, you know, an exhibit on Egypt would probably be something he'd be interested in. Cool. Was there a list or an inventory that was released at all or about what was in the exhibit um, or what they found? Sure. So they're sketchy on that. They say you'll have to come to the the event to see it. But they keep saying the best preserved mummy ever discovered. Mm. Well preserved, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> if there's a picture of the uh, the pyramids, like in the paper, mm-hmm. uh, Finn Finn will like kind of jokingly like kind of kind of like you know good good buddies or, or like a, a brothers you know might might poke fun he'll like jokingly like fold the paper so that the, the pyramids are facing up and he just tosses it over to james and he's like isn't that what you do you, you build you build those play with your blocks and yours are more flat well i would say i do a lot more than play with blocks uh but yes mine are flat and not quite this this uh level of just archi- architectural achievement especially for its time. Uh, it's, it's really what, well, I don't know what we do today uh, doesn't even pale in comparison to, to, to what was achieved there. But, you know, I mean, well, as, as James, as James kind of looks up from the paper while he's saying that he sees that Finn is actually stacking a bunch of these like biscuits on a tray into a pyramid. And he's like, well, that's not so hot. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> And then he eats. Then he eats the top one. I was gonna say James reaches over and just flicks it over and says, "Well, <laughs> it may look the same." All right. So the the day before the event, uh, O'Neill asks you to come into the the police station to to meet with him, and you go into his office and he he shuts the door and he takes four tickets out of his pocket uh, and kind of slut puts them on his desk and slides them across to the, to the four of you. And he says, uh, I suspect you might be interested in attending this event. He sort of raises an eyebrow. Pass. And James says, well, I, I mean, I've, I've had quite a bit of interest of it, but I imagine if you're wanting us to check it out, it's probably for more than just an educational experience. He says, we're expecting some trouble. Define trouble. Have any of you ever heard of the White Sword? Has Ignacia heard of the White Sword? Yeah, I don't. I don't know, Eva. <laughs> uh, Finn, you definitely have. Uh, Ignacia, give me a history check. Okay, that's nine. So I would also like not. to see whether I, because I feel like I would probably know, but yeah, you might. You might know about them. Um, yeah, but everybody, give me a history check except for Finn. I don't know shit. Okay. <laughs> uh, 14. 14. All right. So you've heard, uh, and actually, Finn, give me a history check too. We'll see how much you know about them. 
I rolled another one. <laughs> All right, get it out of the way now, buddy. I like it. Um, I've rolled I've rolled two ones and a two. For the record, I wrote a four. Okay. <laughs> so, Finn, uh, you feel like that rings a bell, um, but you're not sure. Is this what uh, Detective O'Neill spoke to me of originally? No. No. Okay. So it, it's a sort of name that you know you've heard before, uh, especially in the circles you've traveled in before. But um, you figure, huh, maybe I've put that life so far behind me that I, that I don't remember. Um, would this have, would this have been Yan Wo uh, circles? Uh, no. before before all that, be- even before all that, when you were running okay. with uh, Hellbound Howler. Okay, I always thought it was pronounced White's words. I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Detective O'Neill looks pained, <laughs> <laughs> and so Agnes, you've heard about them. Uh, this is a a group that's mainly active in the South of white supremacists um, who take a, a dim view on any sort of academic endeavors in general, uh, but especially any sort of academic endeavors related to any race other than as white as you can get. Mm-hmm. Um, like even the Irish are a little eh to them. And so you sort of raise an eyebrow at this and Detective O'Neill says, they're a group of ne'er-do-wells and they're mainly active in the South. And he explains everything that Agnes had heard about them already. Um, he says, but we have some fairly convincing intelligence that they're planning on making a scene here. The group in Boston has been forming slowly and very quietly, but they're both fanatical and stupid. And that, as I'm sure you all know, is a dangerous combination. The white sword proper is more dangerous, but this Northern group we think might, might try to make a name for themselves at this event. I'd like the four of you to be there just in case. Are you planning on having uh, people, police people, that is, at the event also just in case things should turn violet or riotous in a large scale way. Finn, Finn jumps in before the detective can answer and says, why would we want to risk mucking everything up by bringing more police in to bumble their way around? Oh, I'm sorry, detective, you were saying? He says, I, I generally disagree, Finn. However, the museum has been pretty emphatic that police are not allowed inside on official duty. As you all know, the museum is a an exercise in charlatanism. I think they're concerned about us discovering things that may be manifestly untrue and thus genuinely dishonest. We've been told that we're not welcome in any official capacity at the exhibit. Do you plan on making a... Uh unofficial visit then or an off-duty visit perhaps he chuckles and um takes another ticket out of his pocket and says i do but i suspect that they'll be more diligent about seeing what i'm bringing in with me if that makes sense so 
should anything go wrong, I suspect it would fall to the four of you to take care of things. Well, luckily we're very good at taking care of things, so. He says, yes, uh, there'll be likely nothing. Um, but worst case scenario, you get to enjoy the exhibit. Ms. Han, you might find a few things wrong with it. But if you just have a, a nice and relaxing evening, well, that would be fine with me. Can I count on all of you? Of course. Yep, James nods. Okay. Ignacia turns to Agnes. She's like, do you have a dress I can borrow? I have several that I think would suit you perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> yep, James realizes he probably doesn't... Well, no, he probably does have some nice clothes going to the derby and whatnot. Mm -hmm. so. James, my friend, I think you and I need to go shopping. Montage. <laughs> <laughs> I've been looking for an excuse to meet the tailor. Well, I can take you to to my tailor. Uh on second thought, he looks at what you're wearing. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> now these are work clothes. Uh, I I I think you will find that I clean up quite nicely. Well, let's get cleaned up. Is the detective gone? Well, you're in his office, so he, he's going to stay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, detective, you're still here. <laughs> he looks up from some papers that he's now looking at. And he says, I, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Just sharing an old awkward moment in this man's office. <laughs> All right. Sawyer turns to walk out. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he nods to you, um, and he says, "Good day, Marshall." I'm still still waiting for my my star. Do you do you take care of that for me? He uh, he points at a little empty spot on his vest. He just sort of like rubs his eyebrows uh, and says, yeah, "I good day, Mister Sawyer." <laughs> All right, Sawyer walks out. All right, so is there anything that you all want to do before the evening of the 21st? We have a visit to the tailor. Well, on the front steps, uh, as soon as we get outside of this place, of the, the police station, uh, Sawyer looks to all of them and he says, uh, oh no, he leans, he leans over to Agnes <laughs> and he says, what the hell is charlatanism? <laughs> James. James kind of rose his eyes, but that's all for sure because he didn't know either. <laughs> I don't think no. Ignacia knows either, honestly. <laughs> James, James, it's never come up. James has a pretty low intelligence. So Sawyer, Sawyer asks the question and everybody scoffs at him, but everybody does look at Agnes for the same answer. <laughs> like I spent like the next half hour uh, describing my work, debunking people who are pretending to be like these expert magicians and illusionists and spiritualists when really they're just like they're hiding things in their sleeves they're pulling birds out of hats that they then later accidentally kill in horrible ac stage accidents and um kind of going over my my the last few years of my work disproving mediums and uh kind of showing audiences what the truth is behind these these elaborate shows that are all just a series of hoaxes pretty much Agnes, and, and, let's uh, oh. get a persuasion check in here see how convincing all this is to everybody else 
Let's see. And that's a seventeen. That's pretty convincing. As soon as she starts saying, "Oh yeah, this is I debunked these things," Ignacio's like, "Oh, I already know." <laughs> <laughs> oh, as soon as as soon as Agnes is finished explaining all that, uh, Sawyer turns to James and he says, "Well, now I'm actually kind of excited. I mean, magicians and." All kinds of, I mean, is that what we're going to see? Okay. <laughs> Let's go to the museum. So for, for each of you who's listening to this, what information does she persuade you about in terms of uh, charlatanism that she's experienced in the past? Uh, mermaids are absolute hogwash. Uh, uh, James has heard about John R. Brinkley, who... Um, was known as the, let's see, the goat gland doctor who, uh, he implanted goat glands as a mean of curing male impotence. That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> first, one that, first one that came up on this lift, list yeah. of, of infamous, of infamous charlatans. Uh, and, and he's around this time. So James would have heard of that. Awesome. Also, oh, oh, I was going to say, Agnes taught him a new word, so Sawyer just really likes the word hogwash. And Ignacia has already seen her debunk plate people, and so she knows pretty much how her process is. So, she, I guess it's really not persuasion onto her, but just more reinstating that yeah, this is what she does because she's seen it before. All right, is there anything else that you all want to do before uh, the evening? of the 21st. So you have the rest of the 20th and then most of the 21st. Um, I want to make sure that B and my brother don't have any plans on going to this because that's the last thing I need. It's having to worry about their asses too. (laughs) Or my father for that matter. Super, super, super fair. Um, So who are you going to talk to first or at all about it? Uh, first B, because I don't want to talk to my brother if I can help it. All right. So, yeah. So walk me through how you're broaching the subject and all that. Are you going to her house? Are you waiting for a time when she's over? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and visit her house um, at a time when I know she's likely to be there. um, And that there's not going to be like a whole influx of other visitors and friends, perhaps. Um, And I just, I make it clear that I don't, this is not a conversation about the wedding. I don't want to stress her out about that. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that she and William didn't have any plans to visit the exhibition because uh, I'm hearing some some not great things about it and there's potentially going to be some trouble and I would hate for any more stress to be put on either of them right now. Uh, give me a perception check. 16. Okay. So you noticed that... Um, when you say any more stress put on you, she flinches a little bit. She says, no, uh, no, we didn't have any plans to go. We're not, we're not going out much. We're, um, we're really trying to, you know, focus our attention on the wedding and planning for that. And that's, that's really all I've had any time for. And I just nod and it's already, I can feel it's getting quickly diving into awkward territory again and I don't yeah. <laughs> want to linger so I just say oh not oh good uh, good luck with that I will see myself out she insists on showing you out um, she's you know certainly being polite about it but but yeah you're able to tell that even just you 
even just saying uh, with that perception check, you're able to tell you, even just mentioning, I don't want to stress you out about the wedding, just kind of brings it all to the surface. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, one of the things she says as you're heading out the door is, um, I feel like I'm giving you the wrong impression. Uh, what impression do you believe that you are giving me? She says, I, I don't want you to think that I don't love your brother or don't plan on marrying him. I do very, very much. Um, I'm just eager to, to be Mrs. William Hahn. And your brother's a good man. I and fight it's, rolling my eyes very hard. It's, it's almost a question. Like, it almost comes out as a question. Mm -hmm. And she kind of looks at you expectantly. It's, it's the very clear, like, here's where you say yes, future sister-in-law moment. Uh, I, I nod, and I, I nod a lot while I'm trying to think of something to actually say, because I don't want to be dishonest, but I also don't want to freak her out. Um, and I just say, I'm sure the two of you will work through this with flying colors, and the wedding will be magnificent and beautiful and all the things weddings are supposed to be. Uh, thank you for, for seeing me this afternoon. She says, of course, it's it's always a pleasure to see you, sister. And she hugs you. Which is I, not normally something she does. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I hug her back and try to make it make sure that it's very like genuine feeling and not me trying to force it. Because I do genuinely think that she is a good person who deserves good things in life. Mm -hmm. um, but I also don't want to clean up my brother's mess right now <laughs> <laughs> and play like relationship therapist for them. Right. So I, uh, I, I take my leave shortly after. Cool. And uh, are your are you going to check in with your parents as well? Or yes. So I'll just head home and be before I leave for this, just make sure I I see my dad and my mother at the same at one point or another, and just double check to make sure that neither of them have plans to attend. Um, your father sort of like offhandedly says, why would we? I didn't think you had plans to. I just wanted to be sure. He says, uh, are you going? On business. Business? Important business uh, having to do with science. Just, you're going to, oh, oh dear. Just... Let the idiots have their fun, dear. I'm afraid they might be having, some of the idiots might be having too much fun tonight and fun that is at the expense of others. So it is my, my duty to make sure that the fun is being had by the right people. Okay. So he just bombed his insight check. Um, and so he thinks you're talking about uh, not wanting, you know, poor rubes to get taken advantage of by... Uh, the likes of uh, Sax and Kimball who, you know, put on these sort of fantastical shows that aren't really what they claim to be. Um, and so he looks at you and has a sort of smile of pride and admiration. Um, your mother looks at you with a slightly more worried look. Um, and it's pretty clear that she knows uh, what, 
you've been asked to do by Detective O'Neill. Other folks, any plans in the interim? Just hitting up that tailor. <laughs> the only the only other thing besides the tailor is that uh, uh, Finn is uh, he he wants to figure out, um, and he does this. He's done this in his past where he sort of get the information. It's kind of like casing a joint, but basically he he wants to know if there's going to be security that's going to try to take weapons or anything like that. Like he wants to make sure that his stuff is at the ready. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever whatever he's going to be able to do to either get that information and be sure that it's that he can get in with the weapons, or if he needs to create some sort of other way to get his weapons in. Mm-hmm. I think James would go along with that. <clears throat> yeah, so um, it's it's pretty clear that there is going to be security. Um, you talk to Detective O'Neill, sort of building off of what he said about them checking him more carefully than others. Um, and he says that they have uh, people at the doors uh, at the coat check. They're also checking for any sort of weaponry or anything like that um, because these displays are are valuable um, and they don't want any sort of nonsense happening to anything that is going on in there. Okay, so we're going to have to have a talk with the tailor okay. about help, helping us smuggle in some weapons. <laughs> So Li Zhang Over, recommends a <laughs> <laughs> so has a recommendation, uh, and so uh, you meet this tailor, uh, and he is more than happy to help you out uh, for a little bit extra, but uh, but still a reasonable amount once you name drop Li Zhang. Okay, where did I? Is this where I get can get my gloves? Did I get gloves? You did not. Oh, I think I said I was going to get some gloves. Okay. I don't, uh, there were some gloves. But I don't know. Whatever. I pick up some new gloves. Nice. Anything special or specific about them? Um, just something to kind of protect my hands when punching folks. So, okay. okay. I, Sounds good. As someone who's never punched anybody, I don't know what that'd be. But <laughs> <laughs> so the the tailor sort of chuckles, um, and is makes you a, a good set of gloves for that very specific purpose not hurting your hands when you don't punch someone yeah he says these gloves will be perfect for that right i just picture you know maybe in the near future uh james loading up his arms kind of like henry cavill did in mission impossible Mm -hmm. except he's got these really righteous gloves on okay and uh ignacia anything that you want to take care of before um I think Ignacia is going to go through the the Han library and mm-hmm. see if she can find anything on any, if they have any book on Egypt or Egyptology or anything like that. And just try to get some ideas of what they're going to run into. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. So give me a, um, what would be a good check for that? Give me a, uh, give me a history check. Well, at the five. Okay. So they have a pretty well-stocked library. You're able to find some books on Egypt. And so it talks a little bit about, uh, you know, history of Egypt and pharaohs, a little bit about mummification, but nothing, you know, this is all new information to you because it wasn't really a, a topic that you knew or heard much about growing up. But yeah, there, there are a couple books on Egyptology that 
sort of generally outline the process and talk about the building of the pyramids and all that sort of stuff. So you get a general understanding of it. And when Agnes eventually gets home, she's going to start going through the dresses and seeing what, what fits her mm -hmm. and all that. Cool. So are we ready to uh, move on to the next part? So anybody trying to sneak in weapons, uh, give me a deception check uh, with advantage because you have time to time to prepare. Man, I'm rolling great today for once in my life. I rolled a 20 altogether. Nice. Um, so yeah, you're able to sneak in. Uh, what are what are, what are you sneaking in? Yeah, dagger easily. Like yeah. a one d four piercing damage dagger. Yeah, you're good to go. Would would I be able to um, substitute the deception for sleight of hand, possibly? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, it's only off sense. by one. It's only off by one number. But I, I I'm not doing it for the number part. I'm doing it more for the uh, the way that I'm trying to conceal them. Is more like with my movement of my body, movement of where you know, like if they go to reach for my a certain part, maybe I'm actually like quickly moving a weapon. <laughs> sure. You know, like yeah. moving my body and moving a weapon. So, okay. So Yeah, that's that's super solid. So if there's another way for any of you that you want to go about this, um, feel free to feel free to tell us sort of narratively how you're doing it. So I rolled a 16. I have a plus seven. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. You sneak. What are you, so what are you sneaking in the pistol? Uh, two pistols. Okay. And a boot knife. Great. Not a problem at all. Ignacia, are you bringing anything, or are you? I'm, I'm debating it because I don't. All she has is like a little dagger and a a little gun, but she's like, so I don't think she is going to bring anything. Okay. Cool. And James. Nope. You're packing your weapons at yeah. all times. All right. They are attached to the end of my arm. Sounds good. All right. So as you arrive here. The, there's a pretty big crowd gathered um, and it's one of the longest days of the year so uh, it's still light out and there are kind of two kind of clearly stratified tiers of people here people closest to the steps going up to the museum are really like a who's who of Boston society they're there for the party they're there for the opening of the exhibit uh, and they're talking amongst themselves in the way that rich people talk amongst themselves, trying to both express their genuine excitement, but distance themselves from it to show that, you know, their money puts them above all this sort of stuff here. Uh, and then there's a group of Boston's commoners, more so, looking from across the street, uh, who've gathered to see what's going on here. And uh, they're keeping their distance, but uh, they are clearly interested and enthusiastic about what they see here. Outside, you do see a few uniformed police officers, uh, but they're staying relatively far away uh, from everything that's going on. And as you look around near the front of the crowd, there are a few men and one woman who are almost like holding court there. There's the few of them and then almost a ring of people around them Agnes, you recognize Joseph Sachs and Moses Kimball. You also recognize uh, Henry Trislow. And, uh, you know, they're talking very animatedly. There's also 
a 50-year-old white-haired man standing with them um, and a tall African woman standing next to them as well. Um, as I see them, I'm just going to kind of whisper to everybody who who's who so that everybody's on the same page. Great. All right. So as you're milling around outside, we're going to go into a skill challenge here. So knowing that there might be trouble later on um, and what the hell kind of podcast would it be if it didn't actually materialize in some way, I'm going to give all of you the opportunity to look around and see what you can tell. Um, and the further you get into the skill challenge, the, the better off you'll be. So quick review since it's been a little while. You are trying to roll over uh, 15 on a particular skill that will help you get information if you are able to convincingly tell the story about how it helps uh, you can use it and you can't reuse a skill once you've used it if you get to uh, the right number of successes the skill challenge will end if you get to uh, the right number of failures which is half of that the skill challenge will end and you'll just have gotten whatever information you were able to get from the successes you've had make sense Yep. Sounds good to me. Cool. Uh, so roll for initiative real quick. Oh, shit. Oh, man. I lost it, and it was a 20. I'm going to roll it again anyways. <laughs> oh, now it's an 8. 5. Uh, 20. 25. Ooh la la. It, it's what I do. <laughs> I have a plus 9 to initiative. Sweet. I'm just going to set the same for James. What he's dressed in, mm -hmm. um, just just to show Finn here that that James cleans up nice. He's wearing a nice, nice uh, about a little longer than waist length red jacket with a nice red uh, kind of gold vest underneath. White shirt under that with a boat with a red bow tie that matches his jacket and some black pants. He's even got a hat for the occasion, a top hat. And he walks around with a, like a, you know, well, whenever he sees Finn, he's like a, got told you so look on him. So, so Finn, when he first sees this, he, he, he's actually taken back. And, and is, is, is James like in, in your, like is James actually like pretty well put together right now? Yeah. Yeah. I think he looks, yeah. I think he looks real nice. He's, and he's got like, just, a, you know, he's walking kind of with confidence. I mean, like, it's nothing that you would know before, but he he he's kind of been in these, you know, with going to the derby. I mean, he doesn't do it, you know, he doesn't always do it just low key, you know. It's kind of a party, so he, he got, you know, he he's seen enough of the this that he kind of he can replicate a little bit of you know walking with this confidence, and, you know. Well, the the very first uh, reaction that anyone might catch on Finn's face is like an eyebrow raise uh, in a, you know, he sees like basically like. You know, Tom Hardy showing up looking all fancy to the party. And so he's eyebrow goes up and he's like, kind of like, Oh wow. Okay. Uh, but then, you know, his nature takes over. And so he like reaches up and pulls one little tiny piece of lint off of it, flicks it off the shoulder. <laughs> and he goes, and he goes, uh, well, I certainly think you're going to stand out looking like a canary, but then he like winks and does that little like buddy nudge. All right. Uh, so Finn, what uh, what are you going to do to read the crowd or get some information here? Well, I'd like to do, 
I'd like to, uh, you said there were a couple police officers that are mm -hmm. standing around. Uh, he's going to kind of like sidle up next to one while lighting a cigarette off for the, the police officer a cigarette and try to uh, get some information from them on like any any people, any shady people they've seen or, or anything like that. Like maybe get some of that information. Sure. Um, so they say, uh, yeah, so that's going to be what check? I think deception probably is okay. Okay. Maybe, maybe deception. I can't think of anything else on here. Either that, well, I'm not going to intimidate him. Yeah. So. No. Yeah, either deception or persuasion would make sense to me. Let's do deception. Okay. 14 plus 6, so 20. That'll do. So they say that uh, they haven't really noticed much of anything, um, but the they are keeping an eye on the muckety mucks up front. Um, because they figure if there's going to be any trouble, it'd be targeted at them, uh, especially the white-haired guy who's Flinders Peters, and that's the, the Egyptologist who recovered all the stuff that's here tonight. So they figure if anybody was going to get ornery, it might be with him. Okay. So I, uh, Finn, most of the deception is acting interested in what the police officer is saying. Um, he also, if it's if it's okay with you, does it mess up your mechanics if I do one thing, one other thing? No. So while while he says this thing about the gray haired guy on stage, um, Finn says, "What about that gentleman over there?" And he points, you know, so the police officer has to look that direction. And then Finn takes the badge off the police officer's chest. <laughs> All right. Um, so we'll come back to that sleight of hand check shortly. Okay. All right, uh, Ignacia, you're up. All right, um, Ignacia in higher heels than she's ever used to. In a tighter corset than she's ever used to, <laughs> on top of that. Um, she's uncomfortable. She's wobbly, but she's going to look around and see um, if there's anyone who stands out, particularly um, not part of the up-and-up crowd that, like, like them, that they're someone who, who isn't, doesn't look like that they, don't, they stand out for some reason or another. She's just trying to look and see if you can see something like that. Okay. The perception. Perfect. Uh, 24. Oof, nice. Um, so you actually, in looking over the crowd, notice that there's a lot of people who are uncomfortable being there. Um, a, a large proportion of the crowd are nervous about this thing that they keep talking about. And you saw a little bit about this in the in the materials that you read uh, in the Hans library about the mummy's curse, um, that people who go in to get stuff out of pyramids, who take stuff out of pyramids, who interact with mummies in some way, um, wind up being struck down. Um, and the people who are less concerned about this are trying to assure those very nervous people that such things don't exist, but if they did, it would only be related to those who raid the tomb, not people who come to see it. Otherwise, you know, any of this stuff before would have ended in calamity. And so it, it must just be the people who, who raid the, the tombs, right? Yeah. And so, you're, so your first read of the crowd is that there's a fair amount of tension. But no one that sticks out like a sore thumb or anything or? Uh, not yet. Okay. All right, Canary. <laughs> 
So I think James, even though he's dressed up like one of the uh, more, I guess, higher society, is, is he works more with the people in the streets, you know, more of the laborers and stuff. So he's going to venture that way and just kind of look over the crowd, see if he um, try to get. I'm wanting to use kind of insight on on that crowd and they're across the street, right? Because mm-hmm. James feels like any any people like the detective was talking the. Uh, white sword he feels like they might try to put themselves in that crowd a little bit mm-hmm. or might even kind of yeah put themselves in that crowd so okay he kind of wants to look over that would that be insight just kind of i don't know see yeah insight's good okay that is a 10 total okay so that's that's not going to succeed no. um so you wander over to the the crowd on the other side and they're all just sort of talking about, um, some of them are expressing some interest in the thing and some of them say they're just here to, to see how uh, the rich folks are, are suckers too. And a couple of them are saying that they love to see the richy riches get uh, get duped, yeah. just, like, just like us poor dummies. Okay. All right, Agnes. So Agnes majored in um, history. Mm-hmm. And I think she's going to take a look around and see kind of what looks like it might be a likely target for unwanted or for not great attention from Mm -hmm. the white sword. So I know the mummy is like a big attraction, obviously, but if there's anything else that seems kind of like, oh, this was the subject of articles in an academic nature that they wouldn't be cool with um, and just kind of trying to get a sense of what's kind of a likely target or a likely source sure. of attention. So you're currently outside of the museum. Okay. Um, but you can definitely kind of listen with a historical eye for what might, what might interest people most. Mm-hmm. That's a 22. Okay. Um, so the thing that absolutely is interesting the crowd the most is the mummy. They understand that there's going to be a bunch of other stuff there too, but the mummy is absolutely the most interesting thing. Um, and you overhear some of the more well-read folks talking about how um, this is going to be uh, the mummy of a pharaoh named Userkov, uh, who was a fifth century pharaoh who died young and mysteriously. Got it. All right. And Finn, back to you. Uh, do you want me to make that sleight of hand roll? Uh, sure. Go for it. Is this sep- this is separate from the? Uh, I don't think it or is it? it mm. We'll we'll roll it in. Why not? Well, it's a it's a really good roll, but I could do something else real quick that's in in line with what we're doing that would actually help with uh, getting information, if you prefer. But uh, sleight of hand seven, so uh, twenty two. Fine. Yeah, we can roll it in. That's fine. Um, and so the the police officer looks over in another direction. And as he does, uh, another cop sort of walks by him and says to him, keeping his attention in that direction for longer, that uh, everybody in the crowd is going to be pretty upset when they find out that though they were told everything would be on full display, uh, the mummy isn't getting revealed until midnight uh, and that his sarcophagus and the mummy are going to be revealed in a back room that is a replica of the room that they found the mummy in originally as drawn from uh, Peter's notes. And so with that sort of distraction, 
you know, the police officer sort of grumbling that they're going to make their job even harder for him. If people start storming out of here, pissed off, uh, you're able to easily sneak that out. Okay. I have another police badge. <laughs> it's just going to be like a collection. Like fifth arc is just you selling police badges. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ignacia, you're up. All right. Um, I think I'm going to stand and listen to oh, what what other face name Sax and Kibble talk, mm-hmm. and just trying to gain some insight on their motives, possibly. Okay. All right. Oh, okay. That is a twenty-two. Great. So as you're listening to the two of them, the two of them are actually talking up the woman who's with them, and that's. Uh, Sadet Kepri, who's the the translator, and they're making some jokes about how uh, the two of them came to meet. And Peter sort of waves off any of their humor. He seems sort of a little bit mirthless, incredibly serious, um, and says that it really was a stroke of good luck that he met her uh, after his original translator became incredibly ill. For, for quite a few days and wasn't able to go on the expedition. But uh, Peters was able to find Kepri at a local university studying these sort of ancient runes um, and was able to, to bring her on. Sachs jokes that he's heard that she actually poisoned the original translator. Um, and the two of them sort of like chuckle this off. Um, and, you know, Kepri says like, you seem I'm I'm far more evil than I actually am, and laughs it off. Okay. All right, James. Well, I'm not really sure where I want to go from here. I think that. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know at the moment. Um, I'm looking over my skills, and a lot of them are like don't seem useful in the moment. Sure. So one thing you can do is you can. Pass your turn, um, okay. and what you're doing narratively here is helping the next person to make a check. Okay, um, that gives them so you they'll describe what they do, they're going to do. You describe how you help them, uh, and that gives them advantage on their check. If they succeed, that's great. Uh, if they fail, though, it counts as two failures. Okay, I think I will pass. Okay, and so it is on to Agnes. So you kind of make your way over to Agnes and see what she's up to. Okay. Uh, so I whisper to James, I'm looking for sketchy white people. <laughs> <laughs> James like, <laughs> looks back over his shoulder at the people he's just talking to because maybe he misread that whole situation <laughs> and feels like they're all sketchy. <laughs> like, I want to look for anybody who, like, because there are people here who are, ner- who are nervous for because there's a lot of excitement and stuff, but mm-hmm. there are probably people, I assume, who might look like their intent on something and that something isn't to have a good time. <laughs> okay. Um, so I guess that's like a perception. Yep. Yeah. Oh, goody. Um, that's a seven overall. Seven overall. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he kind of comes over as you're looking into the crowd and starts talking to you. And like, it just seems like each time when you look one way, he kind of like steps to get out of your way. Um, mm-hmm. And you two sort of do this awkward dance where you're facing this like brick wall of a man 
uh, and trying to look out at the crowd while you're doing that. Was that with advantage? Oh yeah, it was with advantage. Uh, okay, that 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 one's a uh, yeah, that one's a twenty. Oh great. Yeah, um, we, we eventually quit dancing with each other. Right. <laughs> and so just as you're getting incredibly frustrated with him, um, he steps in the right direction for you to look in the other way. You see someone who looks differently uncomfortable than everyone else. It's not that he's talking about these rumors with anyone. He looks like he just doesn't quite fit in there. Like the tuxedo isn't natural on him. Mm -hmm. um, and then noticing that as you look around the rest of the crowd you see that uh there are other people in the crowd who look similar now that you know that guy's look and realize oh it's that he wasn't talking to anyone you catch that he makes eye contact with someone else and pretty quickly are able to spot uh, a handful of people who really do seem out of place mm -hmm. and i share this all in whisperings with james yeah great all right Finn. I think uh, once Finn walks away from the police officers and understands, like normal, um, that they're not going to be any help in the situation, uh, he, he's <laughs> thinking of it from a more of a criminal perspective. Mm -hmm. If there are people doing bad or trying to, you know, they're not going to do it where everyone is looking. And so he puts him, he like walks to an area where he can kind of see the entire crowd but more so like people that might be working, like working behind the crowd while everybody's attention is drawn doing other things. Mm -hmm. Un unless, unless there's a way for him to walk to where any type of like loading area would be for the museum, like where things would be dropped off, picked up and seeing if there's anybody milling around those areas. So that would be taking a, a pretty big detour. You're near the front entrance. And so so I, would stay, I would stay in this area for sure. Yeah. Then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to leave the whole group. Um, it, it's more It's more like, is there anybody here that's doing something that he would do if he was trying to do something <laughs> bad sure. to this museum? Sure. So uh, let's go back to here. And is this going to be like perception or investigation? Investigation is good. Oh, he's not very good at investigation, but that's okay. I rolled, well, I rolled a natural 19, but I get a minus one. <laughs> <laughs> That's still good enough. Um, as you position yourself out of the way, you sort of catch Agnes's eye, and she sort of does the quick sort of side-eye glance at one of the men, and that sort of keys you in on the other four like him. Uh, one of them is standing relatively close to you, and as you look down, uh, you see that on his index finger, he has what looks like either a, a cross or a sword between the first and the second joints. And as you mill through the crowd, looking at the other men like him, you notice they all have the same tattoo marking there. So what I have, earlier you had said that uh, Finn would have come across this organization or this group at some point in his mm -hmm. criminal dealings, but it isn't until this possible, maybe if it's okay with you, that yeah. he clicks and he's like, I remember some real assholes. Right. <laughs> Who yeah. had a very similar marking. Right, and so, so yeah, it, it like as you see it on the first hand, you go, right. And so you remember some dealings with the white sword that even Haller was a little bit hesitant to spend time with these guys. They were, uh, I mean, just real scumbags. Um, not smart about their criminality, just 
brutal in their response to anybody unlike them. Even anybody with too much of a tan was uh, sometimes a target for them. So he was uh, generally reluctant, never, never willing to work with them, but generally reluctant to even drink with them. All right. Well, you said one of them was close to me, right? Yeah. Okay. So I'll make my way towards that person. Okay. Casual, like. Sounds good. All right. Good work on the steel challenge. That's the end of that, folks. Um, and so that all in total takes about 10 minutes. And as you're observing all these people, the crowd sort of starts to hush and Saxon Kimball ascend the steps towards the museum. And about halfway up, the two men turn and they look out over the crowd and Kimball sort of opens his mouth and the voice, this booming voice of a carnival barker comes out. And he says, inside are the wonders of Egypt arrayed for you. Mr. Sachs has gone above and beyond to produce the strangest, most terrifying artifacts from the savage lands of the dark continent. Those of you here to see the show tonight, brace yourselves to be amazed. Those who could not get tickets for this evening, prepare to read about it in the papers tomorrow morning. Then come see it for yourself. Inside, we have the best preserved mummy ever displayed for your curious eyes. He knows how to work a crowd, and the crowd starts roaring. What What is the, the member of the White Swords who's right in front of me doing when this happens? Mm -hmm. He hesitates a little bit, but then noticing that the crowd is getting excited, he gets excited as well in response. Okay, so Finn's gonna uh, drop something in his pot in his jacket pocket. Okay. You want me to roll for that? Yeah, slide a hand. 14 plus, plus seven. Okay. 21. Yeah, he does not notice it. Well, he is the proud new owner of a stolen police badge. <laughs> awesome. Anybody else? Uh, James is just after noticing who the, these, you know, kind of ID mm -hmm. these people, he's moving over closer towards uh, any, any of them that are grouped together. So if there's a couple of them standing together or more, he's moving close to that group, but without being, trying not to be noticed. Yeah. In noticing them, you actually notice that they're pretty deliberately spread apart. Okay. Then he would um, go to the one closest to himself and Agnes at the time that they, you know, kind of noticed all that. Okay. As long as it's not the same one as Finn. Perfect. Um, Ignacia is going to look around for her group because she just realized that everybody else split away. <laughs> <laughs> and she's going to look for them and also look for um, anybody who kind of is giving, because she also doesn't know any of this. She did not get right. the, the eye contact. So she's going to look for anybody who sort of stands out or sort of, you know, doesn't look like they belong or is acting weirdly to the big, huge announcement that happened. Makes sense. Yeah, so you see Finn, uh, and he kind of gives you the head tilt to come over that way. All right. And she sort of pushes through the sea of bodies, because mm -hmm. she's only like 5'1 or so, so. Sure. 5'3 in heels, so she's just like trying, excuse me, pardon me, mm -hmm. excuse me. All right. I want to get as close to the front of the line to get in, or the crowd to get in as possible. Okay. Because um, I, wa I want to see that mummy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, and so as you're doing that, uh, Sachs kind of takes a half step forward and he says, thanks to the generosity and curiosity of our noble patron, Henry Truslow, 
were able to seize the finest collection of Egyptian artifacts ever assembled with the help of preeminent Egyptologist Flinders Peters. He gestures to the 50-something man standing a few steps below and crowd claps. He says, he brought back for you treasures beyond imagination, the greatest of which is that best preserved mummy that we've been telling you so much about. I cannot wait to share it with you, but I must. Egyptian custom requires that the dead be first displayed at midnight. Until then, come in, peruse the wonders, and enjoy some hors d'oeuvres. But first, Dr. Peters would like to say a few words, and perhaps his lovely translator will share her expertise with us as well. All right, James is definitely, definitely just, um, now that the translator may be coming up, uh, he feels like she may be a target. And so he's definitely getting closer to, to, to the one that the white, white sword that he's been, you know, kind of hovering over. He, he wants to be very close to this one. Okay. Ignacio is going to read the speakers just to see if they're, you know, lying or anything okay. like that. Okay. Um, so that would be an insight check. That is a 17. Okay. With that, uh, you are able to tell that they believe the things that they are saying. Uh, and you're reasonably sure you're correct. But you also know enough about men like uh, like Sachs and like Kimball to know that there may be some exaggeration of the truth. Okay. Um, would, uh, would Finn, would you have clued us in on any of the white or anybody well i guess anybody or well finn would you have talked about having some sort of dealing or, or knowledge of the white sword i don't think so i rolled very poorly okay. earlier and it only just occurred to me when i saw the the sword on their finger that these guys are bad but i don't i don't think that unless you're staying close enough that finn would know how to convey that yeah what i was thinking is james would look if if he had known that Finn might know a little bit more. Uh, would try to get an eye on Finn, and you know, something you know, try to watch Finn because because if he figured that if he could tell that Finn had kind of latched onto someone, he could try to pick up any kind of you know something. Because I mean, I, I would assume James is can't be a hundred percent sure that this person that he's following isn't just a socially awkward person, you know. Mm -hmm. All right. So with that. Um, as you're sort of navigating that, Peters has ascended the steps, shakes Sachs's hand and says, thank you, Mr. Sachs. It is an honor to be here and present this exhibit. It is indeed a one-of-a-kind display of some of the very richest Egyptian artifacts ever assembled. Everything here comes from Userkov's pyramid, where he was entombed. Inside is the sword of Userkov, a mighty scimitar that the mummy was found clutching to his chest. It's one of the more impressive pieces that I've ever encountered in my career. Now, then, as I'm sure some of you have heard, my translator became ill, which I've heard attributed to the so-called mummy's curse. I can assure you, it was some bad hummus. But it was good fortune for me. As a result, I met this young woman, and he gestures to Sadek Kepri. Sadek Kepri, when I went looking for someone to translate their barbaric glyphs into something legible. Gentlemen and gentlewomen, please join me in welcoming a foremost expert on Egyptian writing and Egyptian myth, Miss Sadek Kepri. And there's sort of polite but uninterested clapping from the crowd. They're interested in hearing what the white men have to say. How does the white sword in front of uh, Finn react? Um, are you standing behind him? Yeah. All right. Uh, give me an insight check. 
12. Okay. Uh, you know, you don't notice any change in his behavior or posture okay. or anything like that. I think I'd go for the same. Okay. Insight check. 14 total. Okay. So you see the person in front of you tense up in a way that people tense up when they hear something they don't like, but not something they're necessarily going to respond to. All right. Ignacia would, but she just got to Sawyer eventually. Mm -hmm. And she just still doesn't know anything about it. Sure. <laughs> also, the mummy comes on display at midnight, but what time is it roughly right now? Uh, it's about 7.30 right now. Okay. Is it, did you, Ignacia, did you say that you were uh, sidling up next to Finn? Yeah, once she searched the crown and found you, she you gave, like, at least Doug said that you gave a head nod, and she's yeah. swimming through the crowd, and eventually sort of skied up next to him. When you're when you're next to me, he uh, so everybody's focused up front. He tries to covertly make the like you know uh, mouth the words to you while while pointing like like with one hand <laughs> like hiding his little hand. He's, and he, he mouths the word asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Can I look in that direction and see if I see anything then or? Yeah, yeah, with him indicating it, it's, it's he he also it's, points at his finger. Finn points at his own finger on the finger of the hand that. You, you'd see the symbol. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Nasia sort of like leans over and looks. Yeah. I, I, think, I think every once in a while I would look, if I could see Finn, I would look in his direction, Finn and Ignacia, to see if there's any, like, anything they, because I would imagine if they'd lock eyes that, you know, he might do the same, like, point to his finger or something. Or Agnes, even if I could see Agnes. I feel like we're playing like the most awkward game of telephone in this crowd of like James is yep. just looking and looking and everybody, you know, he's probably not being too too stealthy at the moment. It's like somebody just give me a clue. Come on. I All think right. now that now that Ignacia knows, she's probably gonna be much better at communication with you other two than than Finn. Well, she's not that tall, so there's a crowd around them. <laughs> All right, and so as, as this is all happening, uh, Kepri takes a few steps up the stairs and then sort of waves both hands at Peters. Um, and he sort of gestures for her to come up again, but she shakes her head no and takes a few steps back down. In that process, as she sort of separates herself from the crowd more, um, you see her fully. Uh, she's dark-skinned and just staggeringly beautiful. Her hair is straightened, conforming to Western standards, and it falls sort of flowingly over her ears and the back of her neck. Peters shrugs his shoulders and says, well, Ms. Kepri seems reluctant to speak. The scrolls and hieroglyphs she helped me translate speak glowing Zukov, whose name means the soul is mighty. He was a beloved Pharaoh who died tragically and mysteriously young. Most impressive to me was that he understood that men were not gods to be worshiped, but the children of gods. And while his understanding might seem to take a rather high view of man's place in the universe today. At the time, it was a radical change from the kings who killed any who would not worship them. Usterkoff insisted that he and his subject worship the same gods, especially Ra, the sun god. And when he was buried, he created a sun temple, a pyramid arranged to capture Ra's bounty best. And unlike the pharaohs before him, he was entombed alone, not with living slaves walled into the pyramid with him and some sort of display of savage power. You will see displayed inside much more information about all of this. 
thank you all so much for this tremendous opportunity. He sort of gives a half bow to the crowd, uh, starts clapping wildly. And Sachs quickly steps forward, uh, feeling a little bit upstaged and holds his hand up to silence the crowd and speaks. Um, he says, and last but far from least, we must thank the bold generosity of Mr. Henry Trislow, the benefactor of this exhibit. It was he who approached us about finding someone to plunder the depths of the savage tomb. So a round of applause for his investment, and he gestures to Truslow, who's standing down the steps. Dear listeners, let it be known that Morgan is currently doing a slow clap while glowering Browning. directly at the camera. Ah, <laughs> uh, yay, Western stuff. They'll Europe. Get their, trust uh, the GM, they'll get their comeuppance. I know, uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so then Sachs, uh, sort of waves his hand to silence them again and says, ticket holders, please join us inside for this one of a kind exhibit. And those of you who are not able to procure tickets, join us soon. As well preserved as this mummy is, <laughs> may get up and walk out at any point. So be quick about it. There's polite laughter from the crowd, polite milling, and uh, the men and Kepri turn and they walk up the stairs and inside. All right. Ben, ben oh. leans down to Ignacia and he says, hogwash. <laughs> she does the polite like chuckle thing with her hands like covering her mouth yeah I think James is he's gonna hang back uh, as much as possible um, try to get behind just be make sure that, that he's behind any of these nefarious looking people that, that they've been kind of eyeing and tailing a little bit he just wants to be behind them I think I think that uh, I think that so, uh, our Finn and Ignacia. He doesn't want to split up from Ignacia. Um, he's just. A, I'm torn right now. I, I think I think that I like the idea of hanging back. But if if we see that James is doing that, uh, I think maybe Finn and uh, Ignacia go in first or early, like try to get to the head of the the crowd, and then we can turn and watch people uh, coming in. If that's okay with you, Ignacia. Oh yeah, that's fine. I'm really looking forward to the moment where we all like reunite in the place, and James is asking about the fa- like the the thing on the finger that he was trying to get the information that whole time. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, "What are we looking for?" He he's really committed to following this one person, <laughs> knowing that it could just be somebody who's just you know a little uncomfortable being there. Um, Agnes is going to want to as a fellow linguist, um, approach Sedet at some point. So she's going to try to angle herself so that she can get in for a conversation at, uh, at the earliest convenience. Great. And um, Ignacia is just, uh, as they're moving around, she's just going to do another scan around um, the crowd. Is it mainly, is there people of color at all? Or is it just mainly like white folk? Or is it just... Uh, or is it just Agnes and Ignacia and Capri, of course, sort of sticking out like sore thumbs? That's, so that's a good question. So uh, for the listeners, this is like a little bit of behind the curtain stuff here. So we agreed that we were going to have a, for the most part, uh, more racially diverse and racially understanding Boston in the 1890s than would have been the case. And so to that end, I would say that there are probably 
yeah, some people of color in the crowd, but it's certainly predominantly white. Okay. That's all Ignacio is really looking for. In the okay. Cool. Yeah, it's not like just the three of you standing there like, hey. Um, it's, it's not, you wouldn't call it a diverse crowd, but it's not entirely monochromatic other than the three of you. Okay. All right, and so uh, all of you sort of take your positions and the line sort of starts to form uh, with all the rich people feigning disinterest uh, you're all easily able to get where you want to get to, uh, and you start to make your way inside, which is where we'll pick up next time. The Red Death is Morgan Nuncio as Ignacio, Cleo Yansu Davis as Agnes, Tim Devine as Finn Sawyer. Kent Blue as James, and Doug Lewandowski as the Game Master. The Red Death is part of the Role to Play Network. It is edited, produced, and hosted by Kent Blue. Discover more at RolletoPlayNetwork.com And do join us next time, if you dare.